Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Allison Shane. She's a blogger and social media expert. We're going to talk to her about what's hot and what's not when it comes to social media. Stephen Lynn is the social planning coordinator in the city of Windsor. We're going to talk about their low-income bus pass as Winnipeg prepares to possibly get one here. Bob Irving in Edmonton at Grey Cup Week and Keith Warner a professor at the University of Guelph, a food safety researcher. We'll see what he has to say about this E. coli outbreak when it comes to romaine lettuce. All that coming up on the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Stay online. We're going to talk now with Allison Shane. She is a blogger and a social media expert. Her website is AllisonShane.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-H-A-N-E.com. Allison, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah. So let's talk about Facebook a little bit and other social media platforms. Uh, I try really hard to be on social media as much as I can. I've got to get better at that. We've talked about that. You're out there a lot. You're a social media expert. What's going on with Facebook? We're seeing the share prices coming down. It's got its financial problems, but yet we're hearing, at least anecdotally, that people are moving away from Facebook. Is that the case and why? Yeah, so there are two major reasons that a lot of people are sort of migrating away from some of the more traditional social networks. They're sort of twofold. So the first would be negativity and polarization. Um, A lot of people are really fed up with all the negativity that they're hearing online. Uh, People feel like if they're on social media, they're just going to get into a fight, especially when it comes to politics. Uh, Everybody's really fired up right now, and that's really creating a negative experience for a lot of people. And secondly, there's a lack of trust, particularly with Facebook. Mm. A lot of our listeners might remember earlier on in the year when it was revealed that Facebook uh, basically gave away the personal data for millions of people to a company called Cambridge Analytica without their consent, and then they use it for political purposes. So it's twofold. One, it's just not a great time to be on social media right now because of the polarization and negativity. And then there's the fundamental lack of trust that people feel towards these companies that hold all of our personal data. Yeah. And call me jaded or cynical, but I just assume that if I'm on social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, that I am giving up some of my information just by being there. So that's how I feel about it. Yes. And and you know what? That's the case. And I think that most people are pretty okay with that. But it's, it's less about giving away your personal information to somewhere like Facebook where you, you know that Facebook has it and you're comfortable with that versus finding out that Facebook is actually selling or giving away your information to third-party people who can then use it for advertising or for trying to sway your political opinion and right. those kinds of more uh, negative tactics that people don't feel so great about. And do we know that same thing, uh, those same problems are happening on other platforms as well? Or like is Facebook getting the rap and and they're the only ones doing it or are others doing it too, like Twitter? I mean, they all kind of have their issues, right? Instagram's the big one right now, but Twitter's certainly had problems Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, well, every social network has kind of gone through a point where there's something has happened, they've misused some user data or there's been a breach where people's accounts have been hacked. LinkedIn had one not too long ago. Twitter lost them, you know, I think it was a couple thousand people's personal information. So anywhere, anytime you put information up online on any social network or any website, there's always a chance that it could get lost or stolen or there could be a data breach and someone could access it. That's fairly typical, but 
Facebook is the biggest social network. It also owns two of the other biggest social networks in the world, WhatsApp and Instagram. So they come under a particular amount of fire just because, again, everyone uses it, everyone knows it, and they happen to own two of the other biggest social networks on the planet. Yeah, and why is Instagram so popular? Why are everybody, Why is everybody going there and using it, it seems? Okay, so I think this is kind of twofold. So the first is that Instagram is used primarily among younger demographics. So millennials and younger tend to be on Instagram way more than like my parents' generation, so Gen X, baby boomer types. And that's partially because everyone's, if, you're, if your mom and dad are on a social network like Facebook, you probably don't want to hang out there because you don't want them creeping on your stuff. So part of it has to do with a generational shift yep. towards new technologies that aren't used by the older generation. And the second, and I think that this speaks to the negativity that you and I were just talking about, there isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of conflict in the same way on Instagram because Instagram is a visual platform. People share photos, they share video, and it's just, it's more personal, it's less political, it's much more friendly. And I mean, to be sure, there are uh, accounts that are politically motivated or that use political messaging and things like that. But overall, it's, it's a different experience. And when you use Instagram, you don't post something to Instagram expecting to get into a flame war with 5,000 people the same way that you might expect if you say something on Facebook or on Twitter. Yeah. It's a perception difference. You know, my wife is on Instagram a lot, and uh, she tells me that just when, you know, everybody's at Instagram and they're using it and loving it, then they go and change things, you know? Like, it seems like when something <laughs> gets popular, they mess with it. Why do they do that? Well, partially it's to do with keeping the app fresh. The minute something starts to get stale, people start to drop off. There's also keeping the app innovative, you know, I mean, as much as we all wish that our favorite social networks would stay the same, I mean, believe me, there have been some changes to the Instagram timeline algorithm that I'm sure your wife has also complained about that yep. everybody hates. But social networks change over time and their priorities change. So if you think about something like Instagram, Instagram was started off as a social platform that was just for sharing pictures. It was free and it wasn't very marketing focused. Now, as especially since they've been acquired by Facebook, the motive, the motive for these social networks is to get you to pay for stuff. You know, the, as much as they want organic or non-paid users yeah. to use the service because it helps with popularity, the real goal is to get you to pay. So by doing something like, say, busing with the chronological timeline, <clears throat> you can basically force people to pay for sponsored content to show up in someone's feed more regularly rather than hoping that the thing you posted today shows up, you know, before next Tuesday, for example. Yeah. So there are uh, financial incentives there, as well as keeping the apps fresh and, you know, sort of staying ahead of those curves. Hey, this is a selfish, Sometimes. this is a selfish question. Are, are yeah. some uh, platforms better at, at, uh, than others when it comes to paying for, like, if I wanted to really get a, a post on Facebook and have it get a lot of attention, it, does it make sense on some platforms to pay for that attention or, or not? Because it seems like some are better than others. Well, it depends on what your goals are. I would say Facebook is probably the best bang for your buck overall. Mm. Um, Facebook not only allows you to advertise within the app itself, but they also allow you to advertise to what's called their audience network. Their audience network is basically uh, the process of Facebook using your Facebook data to follow you around the Internet and show you ads through third-party websites through Facebook. Um, mm. They also, again, own Instagram. So if you're doing yeah. any Facebook marketing, you can also target Instagram users as well. Yeah. Um, some people do use t Twitter and LinkedIn advertising. I believe the ROI on LinkedIn is pretty high, but it's quite expensive. 
And I've been reading a lot of research recently that's pointing to Twitter advertising as a really great uh, avenue for businesses. But to be honest with you, it hasn't, Twitter for business hasn't really exploded in the same way. So it doesn't really see the same level of usage as other social networks like Facebook. Yeah. And I know you work with companies on their social media. And that's why I asked that question, because I've got some business friends, too, and they're asking me and I'm like, well, you know, this works well for me or it has in the past. I'm, I'm not sure. So that's why I wanted to ask you and one more question. Yeah. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, are there any new ones that are coming that I should get signed up for now? Do I need to save my name, Hal Anderson, on any new ones that are going to become big and popular? You know what? There aren't really any new social media networks that are sort of emerging in this ecosystem, which I find really interesting. Um, I think that we're probably going to see something in the next couple of years. But to date, the only big ones that have come onto the market have been uh, messaging apps like WhatsApp. But WhatsApp isn't big in North America. Here we use texting or a lot of us use Facebook Messenger because we're already so integrated with Facebook. But WhatsApp was kind of a big one. And even then, it still hasn't managed to get a foothold in North America the same way it has in other parts of the world. Yeah. And then some are very uh, generational, right? Like older people mm-hmm. tend to use Facebook, whereas younger pe- mm-hmm. more younger people are on Instagram. So yeah, I guess you find where you're comfortable. So listen, if you need any help with any of this stuff, uh, the person to talk to is Allison Shane, AllisonShane.com, <laughs> A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-H-A-N-E.com. And I love the way you blog. You blog about important stuff and you blog about really insignificant things like for example, one of her titles, I have the weirdest luck, and you talk about it. You blog about it. Um, here's another one. Saw the funniest, saddest play the other day. Well, I got to read about that. What's that all about? Having lunch, <laughs> having lunch downtown in my favorite. The election is over, so I can use the internet again. So you, you do it. You do a great job, Allison, and I appreciate your well, time. Thank you. I appreciate your reading and uh, for giving me a call when you want to chat, Hal. Absolutely. Nice talk. We'll do it again soon. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. All right. Joining us now to talk about this idea of a low-income bus pass, we've been talking about this a lot this week, is Stephen Lynn. He is the social planning coordinator with the city of Windsor, and he joins us on the phone now. Hi, Stephen. Hi. So a quick question for you. Uh, They're talking here in Winnipeg, and by the way, this was approved at committee level the other day, and it's going to be a part of budget deliberation. So we've got a ways to go before this becomes a thing here in Winnipeg. But they're talking about 13,000 people every year getting one of these low-income bus passes, paying about half price, not 100, but 50 bucks. And they're saying the price tag could be as high as $30 million dollars. Does that jive with the numbers there in Windsor at all? Or or maybe share with us some of the numbers there because I see that thirty million and I think, man, that's a that's a lot of money for thirteen thousand people to get a deal on a bus ride. Yeah, I'm I'm not that familiar obviously with the situation in Winnipeg. Sure. Um but I can definitely speak to what our experience has been in here in Windsor. Uh, our, our total population is just over 200,000 uh, people. And so with our affordable pass program is what we call this bus pass. Um, it has uh, traditionally been run for about seven years now. And it's eligible for anybody who is living under the low income cutoff. So just for an example, that's about $21,000 uh, for, pers- for one person. And here in Windsor, we offer uh, just about a 50% discount off the monthly bus pass. And so we have what we call our pathway to potential social investment uh, strategy. 
And we know that uh, affordable bus pass is, a, is an effective tool to fighting poverty and improving health outcomes. So we, we do see that this pass, uh, this, this discount, is, uh, is always um, heavily utilized. And um, we do um, see that it is of great uh, need for uh, residents who can't afford uh, otherwise to, to, to pay the full cost of the pass. And so how many people in Windsor are making use of this on a yearly basis? So the Affordable Pass program, uh, we have three different uh, streams, so to speak. There's uh, people who are on social assistance uh, can receive uh, a a discount. Uh, But for people who uh, would be considered uh, for a working poor uh, and meet these requirements, we uh, annually there's about 5,400 bus passes that are are, uh, issued with our Pathway to Potential uh, program. And our budget for this is just over $250,000 a year. See, now that's interesting because your population is, let's just say a third, roughly, if we're talking rough mm-hmm. math, your population is a third. Uh, you're dealing with about a third, right? We're talking 13,000 Winnipeg, as you're saying around 5,000 in Windsor. And yet your cost is 250000 and we're looking at a price tag as high as $30 million. I, I'm not sure of the specifics in Winnipeg, yeah. but I understand you can only you can only speak for, to you. Yeah, yeah, I can speak to these are uh, residents of of Windsor uh, who aren't receiving assistance, who are paying for this uh, out of pocket. Yeah, and so uh, our social assistance structure here in Ontario, there is a, a bus pass uh, that is. Um, approved for people who are seeking work mm-hmm. employment. And so that is uh, in addition to what our social investment strategy offers with our affordable bus pass. Yeah. And you're right. It's apples and oranges, right? But it just gives us an idea. It allows us to compare a little bit. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that they're talking about here that might lower that cost a bit is letting the province, which already deals with social assistance and, you know, p- uh, people that uh, are considered low income, and using some of their administration to kind of decide and, and help get the bus passes into the right hands. And that would lower the administrative costs a bit. That's what they're talking about here anyhow. So, I mean, that's by no means, you know, up to $30 million is by no means a final price tag. Um, I, at first I thought, this is great. But then when I saw that price tag or potential price tag, I thought, boy, like, uh, did you have to add any buses in Windsor to deal with more riders? Historically, I'm not sure. This this program actually started before my time with right. the city of Windsor, but I don't believe uh, that there was any sort of um, increase in uh, ridership that required more buses to be um, put on the road. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't work for Transit Windsor. Yeah. Uh, but I should also say that uh, when when the resident applies for the pass, they're el- they're eligible to uh, receive that discount uh, for up to a year. So when they apply, they only have to apply once, and that doesn't mean they have to purchase that bus pass every single month. Mm. So January, they might need it, but they might not need it in February and March, and then they might go back in, say, May and, and get that discount again. Right. And so that's that's something that uh, I just want to clarify is that, those, sure. at least in Windsor, they're not buying that discount or not buying that pass with that discount for the full year.
Yeah. No, I, I appreciate your uh, your input on this, Stephen, because uh, as I said, it sort of helps us look at the issue here. And I like the idea because I, I really do think there are people out there that need to get to work that can't afford a bus pass. Now, I'd like to help them out. But as a taxpayer and somebody who doesn't like seeing my property taxes going up, I want to do it as inexpensively as I possibly can. And so I think that price tag scares some of us here, but it helps to talk to you and, and find out what you're doing in Windsor with it. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. And I'd just like to end on that. Um, uh, you know, this is uh, helping the residents who need it most and just echoing your sentiments there that uh, these are these bus passes are helping people, um, you know, get over barriers to work. And uh, we see that as being an effective tool for social investment. And and I just want to thank you again for your time. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Agree completely. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Take care. And then people are starting to weigh in on the, the game because we were scratching those uh, Grey Cup tickets. And Len says, here's my prediction, Hal, for the Grey Cup. Ottawa, 32, Calgary, 28. Why, Len says, Hal? Because Dickinson is biting the hand that feeds him and his family. <laughs> Love that. Fantastic. Thank you, Len. And speaking of football and the Grey Cup, and I'll, oh, let's get Burton on here quickly before we talk to Bob Irving. Sorry, Bob, we're putting you on hold to, to, talk, to, Bert, <laughs> to talk to Burton about coffee. Burton, you're opening up for uh, Bob yeah, Irving. Yeah, you're opening up for Bob, Ir- uh, Bob Irving. Burton, go. Hey, Bob, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite coffee? Uh, to tell you the truth, it's on Corden and Arbuthnot. Okay. The location well, is 7-Eleven. You know, 55, 55 cents yep. if you bring your own cup in. If you bring your own cup. And that's yeah, one. And that's if, you, if you want a small, it's like I think it's a buck 19 plus tax. You can't go wrong. Uh, the guys in the morning there always make sure there's lots of pots of coffee on. You got hazelnut, yep. you got all the yeah. stuff. And it's affordable. You're, and you're you know right. What? Uh, the previous caller said something about Tim Hortons. My taste buds tell me they did change the, the beans. Well, they may have changed the beans, but my point is McDonald's didn't pick up the recipe. That's what that's what my source at McDonald's tells me. But you Where make do you a, get your morning cup of coffee from? I get it from McDonald's. McDonald's. That's right. usually my stop. Yep, that's my and stop. And the second best is always at home. Well, that's my problem. I can't brew a good cup of coffee at home. Well, what you got to do is, like, if it's one cup, it's got to be two even teaspoons. To eight ounces. All right. Of, well, I would like you at my perfect. house. I would like you at my house at six thirty tomorrow morning. So I I'll wake up to the smell of your coffee, Burton. <laughs> Maybe that's why my the coffee. Green Ranger was... honking on the horn in front of your place. <laughs> <laughs> that's why my coffee sucked. Maybe I put too much in. Maybe my coffee is way too strong. I can't. This morning. I can't nail it down. I can't get a good cup of coffee. But Burton, before I let you go, you do make a good point about Seven Eleven because you're you know, lots of places. If you bring your own cup, they don't like that. But Seven Eleven, yep, yeah, sure, that's poor. And, and you're you know, right. And it's a, and it's good for the environment. Yeah, and uh, it's affordable. Yeah, and it's not a bad coffee. I've, and I mean, I have four seven. Yeah, here's my only issue with Seven Eleven: sometimes inconsistency. Like sometimes it'll be great, and then you'll get a bad pot. But anyhow, I, I will agree with you that, that, that overall, it's it's not a bad coffee. Yeah. Yeah. All, all right, Burton. Guys. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate all the uh, feedback on your favorite coffee. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go live to Edmonton. We've made him wait too long. Mr. Bob Irving. Hello, Bob. Hello, Hal. How are you? I'm great. How's Edmonton? Yeah, it's good. The weather's been uh, a pleasant surprise. It was above zero the last couple of days, and uh, today it's supposed to be around zero as well. And looking ahead to Sunday, 
and it's going to be very nice. We always know what it could be here in Winnipeg, places like that at this time of the year, so it's a real bonus. Great Cup Festival really gets going today. They've shut down some of the downtown. The coaches talked to reporters. What did they have to say? Well, one of the highlights of Grey Cup Week, Hal, always is the Coaches News Conference, the Grey Cup Coaches News Conference. That was held this morning where Dave Dickinson and Rick Campbell both uh, get up on stage and get a photo op with the Grey Cup, and then they sit down and field questions from the media. Well, when it started today, uh, both coaches made some opening remarks, and Dave Dickinson, the coach of the Stampeders, was first up, and he immediately launched into an apology another apology for the remarks that he was caught making during the West final between Calgary and Winnipeg, where he used the words O'Shea blankety blank Canadians. And he went on for about a minute and a half uh, expressing, you know, his regret over those comments. He said, I own them, but uh, I was nothing against Canadians. It was said in heat of the moment. Uh, He's been in Canada for 22 years. He's married to a Canadian. His kids are Canadians, and he said he feels as Canadian as anybody, and he just uh, hopes that people will understand that uh, things get said sometimes that uh, that you later on regret. So if he keeps addressing this, it must be getting traction out there. Are they talking about this in Edmonton still? Oh, yeah, they're talking about it, and I guess my uh, thought, Al, is that he's getting some pretty significant backlash over this if three days after the fact, and he did apologize Monday, as you and I talked about. Right. He apologized on Monday. If he felt the need to do it again today, he must be getting some pretty significant uh, backlash over it. So I think that'll be the end of it for this week. Uh, But next season, when the Bombers in Calgary play for the first time, you know it'll come up again. So, uh, you know, I think he's put it to bed for now, though. Well, and I said this yesterday on the air. I see it maybe as an opportunity. That fired me up. Maybe we get T-shirts made up, Bob. Canadian Mafia. (laughs) And, uh, you know, maybe we have a, I don't know, let's do something with it. Well, sure. I think Wade Miller should uh, should have some hot off the press right now in the bomber store that uh, that say something like that. O'Shea, King of Canadians, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Certainly, there's a marketing idea in there somewhere, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. So, how's Great Cup Week been out there for you, Bob? What is this? Eighty-six uh, for you? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of lost track. I think it's my forty-sixth wow. Great Cup in a row. Uh, I always had have to add them up every year yeah. because uh, you lose track a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's the same sort of routine every year for those of us in the media. They have the coaches news conference and uh, then we get a chance to go out to the practices and interview the players. And then there's on Thursday, uh, we have more access to the players. The commissioner will have his state of the league address on Friday morning. So the, the events are pretty well the same every year. But boy, in Edmonton here, how they've spent a ton of money on setting up the festival events. And I know when the Grey Cup was in Winnipeg in 2015, Wade Miller really uh, made the festival events a big part of the week. And it uh, turned out to be a very profitable week for the Bombers. They made over $7 million in profit during that week. And here in Edmonton, and of course, this is one of the great bastions of Canadian football. Uh, The Eskimos go way back and they have great fans here. And so their downtown area, Jasper Avenue, which is the main drag in the downtown uh, it's been partly closed off, and they've set up all sorts of activities for fans to come down and enjoy. And as I say, the weather uh, is cooperating in a wonderful fashion. Before I let you go, do you want to save your prediction for Friday? Maybe we'll talk on Friday and get your prediction, or give it to me now if you want. 
No, I'll, well, I'll give you the details on Friday. How about that? It's, I think Calgary's going to win, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wait to explain why on Friday. All right, <laughs> excellent. Bob, enjoy the next couple of days. We'll talk on Friday. You bet. Thanks, Hal. Hall of Fame broadcaster Bob Irving in Edmonton covering the Grey Cup, even though we aren't there. Bomber's not there. That's unfortunate. Um, it's funny uh, that this uh, Dickinson thing is still getting traction, Cam, and, and you made a good point. You figure it's because he continued to hear backlash from Stamps fans that's about what, it. That's what I think happened. Yeah. Because if this was Bomber, they don't care. No. Like if a Bomber He's fan... He's apologized, exactly. it'll go away. I bet that what was going on was they were getting a lot of talk, a lot of emails, a lot of people calling. Yeah. Because when you say, you know, blank in Canadians... Yeah. What does that mean, right? Well, it's everybody. Yeah. It, it does affect everybody when yeah. you say that. And I get that you say stuff during a game. And, you know, I understand that. But, man, this is the Canadian Football League. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Wow. It must really be it must really be getting traction if he has apologized. Began his opening statement today by again apologizing. And I mentioned it, and Bob seemed to like the idea. I the bombers gotta get on this. I totally agree. We with gotta you. do something. Even if we don't do it now, we gotta get on it for next year. So when Calgary is here, we're ready for them. Exactly. It'd be great if we could open up the season with them or something like that. But we gotta wait yeah. for this game, of course. We'll but see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Washing does not remove this bacteria because what it can do is get inside the cells and inside the layers, and so washing doesn't do anything at all. That is James Rogers. He is the Director of Food Safety Research and Testing for Consumer Reports, talking about this romaine lettuce. They are saying, do not eat it, period. Don't. As you heard there, you can't even necessarily wash out what is making people sick, and we're going to talk about this more with an expert here now. Joining us on the phone, Keith Warner. He is a professor at the University of Guelph and a food safety researcher. Keith, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, no, good afternoon. So you heard the clip I played there. I've never heard this when we've talked about E. coli and things that can cause food poisoning before. You apparently can't even wash it out of this lettuce. Yeah, and this is the uh, same story. Like, we had outbreaks of E. coli and lettuce before, and we've got one now. And it's true, is that E. coli can get into the cut edges, it can get into uh, what we call smart and loose surface, so you can wash it, but there's more likelihood that you'll get contamination from your own kitchen um, to make it even worse. So the reality is there's very little consumers can do, and, um, and when you've got E. coli 157, which is a very virulent pathogen, you know, it can be a killer, uh, it causes a big problem. Yeah, it's killing people. I mean, it's not just making people sick, it's killing them. Yeah, and this is very um, frequent with E. coli. You get um, a small number of cases where you do get deaths, but, more, well, even worse than that is that you get, say, if you get an infection, you get this long-term uh, health effects going from kidney failure down to meningitis, all kinds of things. Why does this happen? What's the cause? How does it end up in the lettuce? So the reality is what happens is that so there's no cooking step, obviously, between lettuce from the field until we consume it. So it's raw. And what typically happens, as it has done in previous outbreaks, is that 
we get our lettuce from California and Arizona, which also happens to be cattle country. So the, cat, the, the natural home free coli is in cattle, and they obviously produce manure, which gets into water. And then that water is used to irrigate crops, and it gets that way, and it goes straight to the consumer after that. So um, it is a challenging one to control, and we need better, obviously, control than we're getting, that we won't keep getting these outbreaks. Keith, uh- should this scare the heck out of us, or should we feel good that this has been caught early? Well, unfortunately, it's been caught late. Um, the last case was actually on October the 30th. It oh, started wow. on the 8th of October. So it's a kind of we've sailed through it uh, without uh, knowing that we've sailed through it. And But it does raise the uh, the problem with fresh produce in that when we detect outbreaks, they're usually over before they started because it, uh, shelf life of lettuce is so short. And so what we're getting now is this health advisory coming out saying we advise you not to eat lettuce, which isn't a recall. Uh, so everyone's confused saying, well, should we eat this lettuce or not? And should we buy that lettuce? Should we sell that lettuce? And it causes too much confusion. Is there anything we can do to try and avoid getting sick from food? Are there anything, you know, is there something we can do as consumers when we bring the food home to better ensure that we don't get sick? So there's, there's four kinds of pillars of food safety. One is uh, hot things are cold, held hot, cold things are cut cold, not in between in room temperature. The other thing is to avoid cross-contamination. And uh, with bagged lettuce, for example, don't wash it because you've got more chance of contaminating it than anything else. And there's also um, keeping things sanitized, uh, you know, uh, trying to avoid washing your boots and your uh, dog in the sink, things like that. And obviously separating cook from raw. All these things are good advice. And getting a meat thermometer is the best thing you can do because a lot of cases, I know you don't cook lettuce, but undercooked meat is one of the biggest causes of foodborne illness. So that's the secret to food safety. Now, that's interesting. Some of those made sense. They were no-brainers. But you said don't wash your lettuce when you bring it home. That's right, because uh, typically in a bag lettuce, people are tempted to um, wash it in the sink. But the thing, you've got your dirty dish rag in the sink. You've got your sponge, which is a germ hotspot. Mm. And there's been a study done a few years ago which actually says you actually increase contamination levels if you do wash it in the sink, especially if it's in standing water, not running water. So it's these sort of little things to avoid. Even though we think we're doing good, we could actually be doing harm. You know, I'm already getting text messages from listeners saying this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to start happening more. It's going to turn more deadly even. Is that a concern that this situation with E. coli will get worse or is it something we've got a handle on? Um, I wish we could say we had a handle on. The industry has to change. You know, it has to get interventions like we had milk pasteurization for raw milk. We need a pasteurization step essentially for fresh produce, which are available. The industry has to develop them. But at the end of the day, I suppose one of the um, lessons to take out is that we get more benefit from eating fresh produce than any harm. If we took fresh produce out of our diets, you know, we're going to get all kinds of things. But uh, certainly, I'm very confident, uh, touch wood, that most of the contaminated product is out now. But if you're in that susceptible group, elderly and young, it's just not worth the risk of that Caesar in the risk of getting kidney failure and things like that.
Mm. Hey, Keith, one more thing I wanted to ask you, going back to my first question about how this E. coli or this, uh, you know, whatever is ending up actually in the cells of the lettuce, does that happen with other produce as well, or is it just a lettuce thing? No, no, it happens to a lot of different ones. Mm. We've done research that says salmonella gets into the center of tomatoes. If you're a fan of sprouted seeds like mung bean sprouts, now alpha sprouts, it gets in the middle of them. It's almost, there's evidence suggests that it, these pathogens that make us sick have adapted to the plants uh, themselves to have a happy home. So when they're eaten by ourselves or other animals, they're passed on to the next uh, host. So it happens to a lot of fresh produce, but leafy greens are most prone because of the way they're grown. Uh, other root vegetables aren't so much because we cook them and wash them. But anything eaten raw, soft fruit and things like that, you've just got to be careful, really do. Keith, thanks a lot. Really appreciate your help on this. No, thank you. Keith Warner, he is a prof at the University of Guelph and a food safety researcher. Interesting. Like, I understand, you know, don't wash your dog in the sink and then, you know, wash your your lettuce. But I think that's interesting that he said when you bring produce home from the store, don't wash it. I oh, I always thought you had you were supposed to wash it. I've been washing. That's kind of what I thought. Obviously, I've been doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.